All right. Lord God, thank you so much for your kindness to us this past week and any travels that we've done. Lord, how you've preserved and protected us, how you've watched over us. We thank you for good health. We thank you for preserving us and holding us in your hands. Uh, we do pray, continue to pray and lift up in prayer those who are, um, have uh, recently just received medical reports that concern them. And we pray for others who are struggling with, still dealing with uh, chronic ailments. Um, think of Ben DeJure. We ask you to continue to watch over him and bless him. Be with us, Lord, in this class as we uh, continue just working our way through. Uh, why do you do what you do and help us? And I pray that all of us would be truly enriched in, in this class. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're doing our class. Why do you do that? So just again, wait, turn the button on, Mike. So just broad categories. After everybody gave me some uh, questions that they were looking at, uh, just ended up in some broad categories. Worship, church government, complementarianism, John Calvin, catechisms, and church membership. We've really been here most of this. Today should be the last day that we'll be in this section uh, during the class, and then we'll start moving through um, the rest of these. So, here we go. So, the purpose of the class, anybody who's visiting and is unfamiliar with Presbyterians and Heritage, um, what we'd love for you to do is be able to walk away with, well, these people really are trying to be faithful to Jesus and are committed to Scriptures, and if you walk away that way, we feel like we've succeeded. Okay, you may not agree with us, but at least you could say they really are taking scripture successfully or uh, faithfully. And then for our, the rest of us, just simply having this and knowing how to pass this on and communicate this to others as well. Okay, and I think that's as I've said. I think this is a huge thing for us to remember. Um, whatever it is we're doing. So we've looked at under worship, we've looked at regular principle of worship, we've looked at united vocal prayers and responsive readings using our bodies, our bodies are supposed to be involved in our worship and prayer, we've talked about creeds, roads, liturgy, baptism, and today we're going to look at tithing and giving and communion. Somebody had asked about tithing just recently and so I thought I'd throw it in there, so we're going to do that. And I will tell you, I feel the most uncomfortable talking about money at church. <laughs> so if I get all quiet and everything, that's just because it always bugged me to talk about it, so that's just me. Um, so let's talk about tithing and giving. So we're going to do a lot of Bible reading here, but this is not everything, okay? So this is so much more we can say, but we're just going to start running through some of these. So let's start in the Old Testament for a minute. Let's go to Numbers chapter uh, 18. And could somebody read verses 21 through 24? Numbers 18, 21 through 24. Does anybody need a Bible? Hold on a second. Does anybody need a Bible? Do we need to go get somebody to Bible? We have somebody. Would um, John? Yeah, yeah. Would you just go grab a couple Bibles and bring them? All right. Numbers, 20, uh, Numbers 18, 21 through 24. I saw a hand over here is going to read. Yes. So as you look, now this is the Old Testament. This is setting up the tabernacle system and everything. You notice, what do you notice about how to keep that funded? What do you notice going on there? Okay, it's perpetual. What, but what is perpetual? What do you notice going on there? A tithe, okay? Anybody know, what is a tithe normally? Yeah, it's 10%, okay? And... Um, there you go. And so, um, if you uh, if you take all of the Old Testament together, it was R.J. Rushdoony in his book Tithing and Giving that that actually brought this out. It was the first time I ran across this, but there are others who've said it since then. Uh, if you take all the tithing, it's a three-year cycle, and what ends up happening is it's actually about twenty-eight percent of all agrarian income when you take it all together in a three-year period. It's a pretty large, significant number 
but tithe means 10%. And so the normal thing you would run across would be the regular, the regular uh, annual tithe of 10%. So you're right. So it's 10%. And notice what's the purpose for it? Yeah. Right. So it's to support them so that this can continue to go on, right? So notice how that's set up. So anything else you notice about tithing in there? No, okay. So moving on. Another Old Testament passage. Go to Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 through 29. So there was a normal tithe that was given to the Levites, and then the Levites would tithe from the tithe and give it to the high priest. That's how the high priest kept functioning. He was able to continue functioning. Alright, so there's a tithe of the tithe of a tithe, right? So there we go. But then there were also seasonal tithes as well. Uh, and that's where I'm talking about after a three-year cycle, you end up, it's almost about 27, 28% of someone's income. But all their income was not like your income, they raised their income. <laughs> so it was cattle and, and grain and things like that. So, yes. No, over a three-year period. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, something like that, yeah, yeah. It would have been, yes. Okay. All right, so um, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29. 14, 22 through 29. Let me go ahead and read this. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before Yahweh or before the Lord your God in the place that He will choose, to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe. Notice what happens here. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and the flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, uh, when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appropriate, your appetite craves, your appropriate, huh? your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household, and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. In the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of, all, of, of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, um, and the sojourner and the fathers and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So you'll notice that there's different levels of tithing there. Right? You've got your tithe that supports the, the, the Levites who then are also supporting the, the, the priesthood. But there's a portion of tithe, or there's some tithe, that actually supports the worship itself. Right? So all the eating stuff, that's part of the worship. This, by the way, should inform what happens today in your head when we're taking communion, by the way. Okay? And so, almost all the sacrifices are edible and are meant to be edible. They're all little communion services. Okay? And so that's part of the tithe. Notice, what do you purchase with the tithe for worship? Food and drink. Why can't I drink? Oh, wine and strong drink. Oh, where did prohibition go? Right? Okay, this is what the Lord's money are to do that, right? I always, always laugh and love that. I think that's a funny one. So there's all of that involved. And then there's this other aspect of the tithe where you make sure you take care of the Levites locally. So you can see different layers of the tithe. The point is, is that all the way from the beginning as God establishes people and pull them together around organized worship at the tabernacle, there was tithing, there was a giving, okay? And it was very purposeful, okay? It was purposeful for keeping um, the Levites who are not just involved with sacrifices, but they're also usually, they were also involved in the teaching aspect of being a priest. They were informing people, teaching them the law and so forth. And then the, the high priest and then part of the uh, other aspects of, that go along with worship and stuff. So that's a big summarization there. There you go. Did I confuse everybody? I saw some heads said yes. Thank you. I tried not to confuse you. So do you have any questions before we go on then? So maybe I can unconfuse. 
Yeah, because they weren't making any money. Yeah. Um, yeah, the seventh year is a Sabbath year. They weren't making any funds, so there may not have been. I, I think there was no tithe that year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And Jubilee would have been the 50th year, which is on the back end of another seventh year. So it's two years of not making any money or making any income. Yeah. Anybody else? All right. So, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, where Solomon is talking to his son, and he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with the first fruit of your income. Right? With the first fruit of what bring you in and then your barns will be filled with plenty your vats will be bursting with wine so it's interesting that he Proverbs, uh, Solomon shows that as you're tithing that that's the whole idea is your the desire is to honor the Lord okay and I want to stress that the desire is not to get back a whole bunch from God okay oh God I'm going to give you 10% I need 80 more you're picking up what I'm putting down the goal of the giving is I want to honor the Lord that's the aim and Paul will pick that up when you get to 1 Corinthians 9. Okay, chapter 8 and chapter 9. And he'll put the gospel at the center of that. But we'll get there in a minute. So notice that, that the idea of giving is really ultimately because you want to honor the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay. So there, I'm drawing from the Old Testament starting there. Because the Old Testament is still God's word for God's people in every age. And it also feeds in much what goes on in the, Old, in the New Testament about giving. Any questions up to this point? So sometimes people will make tithing. Yes, ma'am. That wasn't financially supplied in some way, or yeah, I mean you can always yes. I think so. I think that's, that's generally the case, but that's not the motivation. Right. 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 And even, so you get the end of, Hezekiah, uh, the end of Habakkuk, for example. You have to have this frame of reference. So at the end of Habakkuk, he talks about even if the grocery store is empty and the cattle are all dead and there's nothing in the field, I will still trust the Lord. You have to always be that way. Right. So, but, but I think anecdotally, yes, I agree with you. I see that happening a lot. And I think of our own, just our own situation. So yeah. Anybody else? Okay. So let's move somewhere else. So let's move into the New Testament for a minute. Because I want to build a case, not a law, but a principle of tithing. Okay? So Matthew chapter 23 if somebody would read verses 23 through 24. Matthew 23, 23 through 24. Who would read that? Okay, Alan says he'll do it. There you go. Okay, there's where that phrase comes from. You know, well, he's straight out of that and swallowed a camel, right? That comes right from Jesus. I want you to notice, what is, as Christ is critiquing these leaders, what is he critiquing? And then what is he actually affirming? There's actually a couple of things, not just one. What's he critiquing? What's he speaking against? What were the Pharisees, scribes, and hypocrites doing? Yeah, so they were getting down to even what little income they would gain from their little front front yard garden, right? The mint, cumin, and all that stuff, and they were tithing that. But Jesus says, "You're obviously you're doing, but you're doing that, but not following through with how it should impact. If you're doing it to honor the Lord, you're not living in a way to honor the Lord. So the two have got to go together, right? So they're using they're using the tithe 
as a cover-up. We talked about this before in Isaiah. They're using their liturgy to cover up their lifestyle. Right? So they're using their tithing to cover up their lack of being just and so forth. Right? Very good. So what does our Lord, what does our Lord affirm here? Two, two things, at least. Janelle? Do both. Do both what? Yes. Notice that? That our Lord is saying, He says, yes, you are right to tithe. God bless you. But you also need to do this too. Right? So He's affirming both. So if someone says to you there's no tithing in the New Testament, they have to talk to Jesus because I think He says otherwise. Okay? I'm sorry. But anyways, but He affirms that. That was the right thing to do. So tithing is a good principle that we should biblically strive for and, and work for. Okay? And that's really where I was going with that principle. But I want you to see that our Lord actually affirms that in Matthew 23. Are any questions? Okay, um, this may end up being a two-part class. Here we go. So then, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1-4. through Just very simply, Paul says to the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, as he's collecting... Um, freely given gifts for the support uh, to take care of Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering through a famine. He says, lay aside every first day of the week what you're going to give so that when I come, I don't have to do it. But anyways, the point is, is that it was on the first day of the week. That sets a day when they would bring in together what they were going to give. That's all I was just doing with 1 Corinthians 16. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. And, and that's a great point. So I'm glad you said that. So he does that in 1 Corinthians 16. And then six months or eight months later when he writes 2 Corinthians, he's still thinking about it. By the way, all the Greek in, first, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, I understand, is very difficult because Paul didn't like talking about money. So I feel really good company. All right? And so, but it's in there in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 where he puts the gospel as the heart of our giving, right? You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich, right? He says the Lord loves to give cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to give beyond, you know, outside of your means. Give as you've determined in your heart and give gladly. That's how it should be in the end. You're doing it to honor the Lord. So that's what um, Pam was talking about. Okay, so very good. Yes, so you have to actually put uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 with 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. And then uh, Galatians 6, 6, uh, just more of some of this. Uh, Galatians 6, 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. It sounds almost like it's coming right out of the Old Testament, the Le- Levitical tithe, and so forth. That's Galatians 6 and verse 6. And then, this is the last one on this subject. If I'm a preacher, what do I know? It could be the beginning of many more. So, Hebrews chapter 13. So somebody, if you would, please read Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. We'll do that. Scott Levy. Okay, so as you look at Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 16, what two aspects are considered as sacrifices in Hebrews? Huh? Praise? And what else? Doing good, but it's specifically sharing. Right? So giving. So your finances, your financial giving, sharing in other ways as well. Maybe, not, maybe you live in a culture where it's all agrarian, there's no cash, and so it's just food or whatever. But you're sharing that way, and also the offering up of the lips of your lips praise. Okay, I'm going to show you a connection here in just a minute of something else. But I want you to realize that that's what we're doing when we're giving. Okay, and it does have practical aspects. It does support the church. It supports us. It supports missions, and does all those other things. 
and also helps us to have communion wine and bread so that when we worship, you know, and a pianist and all those things, it all fits in with really what you see flowing out of the Old Testament. Okay? And so the tithing and giving, you're, the value of what you are doing, what we are doing, um, is important. Okay? And um, tithing itself, a 10%, if you can get there, that should be something you should aim for. There are seasons in life when you can't get there. I remember two meals a day is all I could afford for my wife and I. I remember. Okay? But it's an aim and you strive for it. But then you don't want to stop there if you get there. You want to think, you know, Lord, I'm so happy with what you've done. Praise the Lord. Here's some more. Because really everything we have is from whom? From the Lord. Okay? And so it's our aim, it should be our aim and our desire, and realizing that when we do this, we're not just paying taxes, right? It's not a religious tax, right? And it's not an imposition in the sense that uh, we have the elders walk around with their 357 magnums in their checkbook, or their, their books, and say, have you given, right? It's not that. It's, I love the Lord. I want to see this go on. Here's here. And that's what we're doing. That's why... I appreciate the way we do it in our worship service when you hear us saying, this is part of worship, for example. And you hear the, often hear the elders say, as we continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings, amen. Yes, we are. Now, you may be giving online ahead of time, and it doesn't come in on church on Sunday, but you can remember and you can say, amen, to what was just said. Yes, your tithing, whether you gave it in the middle of the week or whatever, is part of your thank you to the Lord, which is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, part of our sacrifice of praise. Does that make sense? I see squinty eyes, yes. Yeah, I would. So I'm, 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 let me let me. This is not equivocation. Okay, I'm going to say in the end, I'm going to say yes. It's tithing to your church. But if you're doing it first and foremost, if you're doing it because you love the Lord and you want to support the Lord's kingdom work, we're in the right ballpark. Okay, and so so I'll give. You, I'll just tell you what we do. We give more than a tithe to heritage. Our family does, and then all the other goes and does others, international justice mission and missionaries in Peru, all these other things. And so, because that's always been our ambition is to go beyond 10%. And so that more than 10% definitely goes to others and we make sure we give at least 10% here. But that's just, yeah, so that's what I would say, how I, how I put it. Yeah. Anybody else, other questions? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yes, uh huh. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And and you're right. We probably passed by just because everybody was... It was just in the mix of everything. It was intended. But you're right. You're exactly right. I mean, and that is... 
it is, it's hard for us to think that way, that this is continuing our worship doing this. And some churches do it differently. I mean, some, I mean, you see the box. I know churches that actually have boxes out in the foyer, and then that's where you, you give on the way in, and they don't have any place in the service where there's actually a recognition of that. I love the fact that we do it because then it, it reminds us, oh yes, our giving is part of our worshiping. Even if we didn't do it this morning, right, we're still giving. So, I mean, we, so when we do ours, it's usually the first of the month. And then the rest of the time, you know, we've, we've given all of our tithe and everything at the beginning of the month. And so we don't do anything the rest of the month financially in that sense. But every time we come to that point in worship, I, I just have to say, amen, Lord. You know, I mean, this is what I really believe. This is it. So, yeah, so I love it. Um, so as you, yeah, so any, any other questions? What are the questions on tithing and giving? To the denomination, we do actually tithe the missions. We have a, in fact, this you'll hear next Sunday, and I'll mention this during the announcements. But next Sunday after church, we'll have our annual congregational budget information meeting. You'll see we're giving, we're going to be giving eleven percent, almost eleven percent to missions this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a big deal. So I'm all pumped about that. I have always been. Yeah, I know like the United Methodist Church, they have a, a um, they have a, uh, what do they call assessment for every church and you have to pay this tax. I mean, it's not, they, don't, they wouldn't dare call it a tax, but that's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, in our, in our denomination, it's just recommended, you know, based on your church population, you know, consider giving 0.7% to, like, uh, MTW or MNA or or Christian Ministry Discipleship um, Commission or something like that. Scott? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, and that's good you bring it up. So one of the things about our denomination that sometimes people don't grasp is that when we started in 1973, we started partly as a reaction to the way the denomination we came from was a top-down totalitarian, felt totalitarian, okay, in that regard. And so you only gave money to the organization, and they did it how they wanted to, so we ended up finding out we were supporting Marxist missionaries in Africa and South America, things like that, right? So from the very beginning, it's always been grassroots in our denomination. You have to, so I'll give you an example. Do RUF ministers have to come to all the different churches and say, here's who I am, please support me. Now we can give to RUF in a more blind way, or we, uh, yeah, as a broad generality, but almost all of our RUF guys, Wes can tell you stories about being going to Utah and trying to do this. So, and losing his job because one big supporter stopped. But, but that's what we've always done. And even with missionaries, we do that. So ever, all the way through, it's really a grassroots all the time. And that's the way it's set up. So that way, if you don't feel comfortable, if our congregation didn't feel comfortable supporting, um, just throw out somebody that we support in missions. Scott who? Morris. Scott Morse. Let's say Scott Morse is RUF at uh, OU. Let's say we decided... Oh, no, we, we're not happy with that, you know. But we don't support it. We have control of that. And so that's the other thing that we, unlike many other denominations, many, several other denominations, it was intended that way from the very, very beginning. So that way we always have some control, we have a lot of control over where this money goes. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Okay, probably more of an answer than you were asking for. Yes? Okay. Yes. 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 
Um, oh yeah, there is a biblical, I mean, yeah, several times in scripture talking about leaving your inheritance, whatever you have, because most people wouldn't have anything, you know, but whatever, a little bit they had, property or house or whatever, and then if there was any income. So you see that throughout the Old Testament, for example, and even Paul mentions it, that it's not the, it's the children, uh, it's not that the children are to save up for the inheritance of the adults, but the parents are supposed to save up for the inheritance of the children. Proverbs, the parents, you know, wise parents leave inheritance for their kids and so forth. So there's that, there's that aspect. As for tithing the inheritance, you know, that's a great question. My mom, my mom has it already in her trust. There's going to be a tithe when it's all, the estate's all done, and I'm the executive. Anyway, when the estate's all done, there's going to be a tithe to her church. Right, and we'll probably, uh, I think we have the same thing in our trust. I think we've said it, that that's just what we've chosen to do. You know, to still take care of our kids and so forth. And, um, and I think that's, that's going to be a judgment call. And I think that's the way to look at it. It's a judgment call. Uh, but if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, why do you want to do that? Because I want to honor the Lord. And I'm cheerful about this. And He's blessed us so richly. And, and I'm, you know. Does that answer your question? With almost a non-answer, maybe. No, no. Yeah. 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 Oh, yes, 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 right, 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 so kind of very agrarian, but that's exactly right, so it's of your income, so this is why, you know, sometimes, so, 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 um, can I get kind of personal, is that okay, so I had a, a cousin, who I only met like four times, I think, in all my life, anyways, he passed away, he had millions, and so when they got through the family, because my dad was supposed to inherit it, well, my dad's been dead, so then it comes to the only child, right? So I got a portion of that, and um, because it's not income, I mean, it had been legitimate not to do anything but just spend on ourselves and our kids and all that stuff, but we chose to tithe with it. This was a couple years back, and so, but the tithe was not giving all to the church. We actually took half and gave to Heritage, and the other half we actually set aside for someone else that's in seminary right now. And so we, that's how we've been able to do that. But that was our, what we did with an inheritance that came to us, but it wasn't income, so there's really no binding on it, but it was what we wanted to do. So it was, you know, honoring the Lord and cheerful giving and all that stuff. So, sorry, it's a little personal, but is that, yeah. But I think that's a great, I mean, that's a great observation. And that, so then, by the way, if you ever get into an argument with somebody who wants to say you've got to tithe before the, on the income before taxes, or you got to tithe, you can tithe on after taxes. I'm going to say, just give. Yeah, right. I, I look at yeah. I just tell the Lord, Lord, look what the government's doing. All right, I mean they're stealing from me. I don't. Have, no, I'm just joking. It's not income for for the the inheritors. It's a gift. It's an inheritance. And if you want to look at it as an income, there you go. Amen. 
Yeah. I mean, I, if you, I mean, that's what we did. We gave because we felt we were just grateful. Grateful, Lord, for lots of things, not just the money, but lots of things. And so it was just a natural reaction on our part. I'm just using that as an example. Um, when it comes to, and it's great, this is we're getting into this. Uh, so, like, I have a tax-sheltered annuity um, for my retirement, and so we already know, which is not taxed as it goes in. It'll be taxed when it comes out. Anyways, but we already know our plan is already to title on that when that comes to us because that will actually be income that we've been setting aside for that purpose. And so we'll do the same thing if there's any Social Security at all or anything like that. But, but those will... But that's already our plan. We've already got that in place. But I think the thing I want to get across is that it's important that we do. We want to give. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Um, there's a, there, are, there is a sense of obligation in tithing, but it's not necessarily, you may not have it, so don't sweat it, okay? Just be a jo- joyful, cheerful giver, all right? But make that an ambition that you work for. Work for, that didn't sound right. We're Presbyterians. We're going to be great. Oh, anyways. anyways, it's something that you aim at. Okay? And then realize it's not the end. That's just where you want to be able to get to. When you get there, there should be lots of celebration. Right? Lord, thank you that we were finally able to get to this point to do this. And then you begin looking at, how do I do more? Right? And so you start thinking about doing more. Why? Why? Because you want to get God to give you more money? No, that's not the point. The point is because you want to honor the Lord because the Lord loves a cheerful giver and you remember the gospel. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor so that you through His poverty might become rich. Okay? And so if you take time to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you'll see all of that in there as well. So other questions about tithing, giving... Alright, so as you think about Hebrews, this is what we read, the last one we read. As we think about Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, um, there were two aspects of sacrifices. We just talked about giving, right? That was one of them mentioned. And the other one was what? Praise, okay? And so, interesting in church history, by the way, we will, we will not complete this part of the class today, so fret not. We will come back to it. Sir, what? Oh, oh. Anyways, and so in church history, very often the tithing, the, the giving, wasn't sorry, tithing all the time, but the giving was done right before communion. So you were offering your sacrifice of financial thanksgiving. And what would happen very often is that from that offering, which was almost always substance, bread, wine, etc., the priest or the pastor would take bread and wine from the offering, and then from there you would have communion. So it's very interesting that the two actually fit together. Okay, so the, there is a sense, and here's a here's a uh, here's an iffy aspect, or one that will catch your attention. In a sense, the Lord's Supper is a sacrifice, and that makes Presbyterian skin break out in hives. But it's true, and we'll get into that. Because you've already talked about it in Hebrews chapter thirteen offering the sacrifice of your lips, okay? It's an offering of thanksgiving, which is what the Greek word eucharisto, which is often used for communion, means thanksgiving, okay? So the two actually fit together um, in a sense, in that sense, and so let's begin working through some of this, and then we'll come back and review this uh, the next time and go on with that. So Matthew 26, let's talk briefly about the establishment of communion. Matthew 26. Somebody, let's see here. Let's get Matthew 26. Verses 26 through 29. This is the feast of Passover. This is just before our Lord is crucified, arrested and tried, and then crucified. Uh, somebody read 26 through 29. We'll do that. Matthew 26, 26 to 29. Caitlin. I tell you, I will not be 
Okay? So what are some things that you notice in uh, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29 about communion? This is no no trick question. <laughs> Just he right? Yes, he instituted it. Notice it says take eat. This is my body. Take drink. Right, drink drink of it, all of you. Okay, so he's instituting it. If you go to the other gospel accounts, uh, Luke twenty two, Matthew fourteen. If you go to First Corinthians eleven, which we're going to go to in a minute, uh, if we have time. Um, you will notice that our Lord instituted, He intended this to be done by His people perpetually. So not like a one-time thing way back then. Okay? What else is included? Yeah, yeah. What's poured out? His blood, but then it's pictured in... What's the picture of it? What's the... Yeah, the, the, the wine, right? The blood, I always like to say the blood of grapes, to quote from Joe, but I love that statement, you know, the blood of grapes with the blood of grapes, right? So then it reminds you that. Oh, right. So wine, okay, and, and then bread, right? So just keep in mind, here's the Lord instituting it. This sounds really silly, but I'm just going to say it. So you cannot have communion with Pepsi and pizza. I'm sorry. I had a, our, a ruling elder in the PCA in a seminary class when I was working on my doctorate scandalize me and all the Episcopalians by saying, oh yeah, you can have communion with pizza and, and Pepsi. Whoa, dude, you sit over there. I'm going to sit over here. I was like, what? Right, not very well informed. Okay? So, um, so look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I wish David Gevel was here because he said something about this the other day when we were looking at it. So Acts 2, verse 42 And so after the sermon on the day of Pentecost, and they all said, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will see the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises to you and to your offspring, to those who are after you, to all whom the Lord will call. And then they're all baptized, there's 3,000 of them, and then comes verse 42. Somebody read verse 42. Yes, okay, and so there's some debate over the breaking of bread here because it will talk about breaking of bread from house to house later on, but the Greek is actually different in that other statement. It's a different Greek phrase talking about normal meals and fellowship meals. And so this one really is, this breaking of bread is actually just shorthand for communion. So notice what what are they devoted to? What an interesting language. What are they devoted to, these young Christians... 3,000 of them around the apostles. What are they devoted to? Teaching fellowship prayers and communion, breaking of bread. Isn't that interesting? Okay, And that's exactly what you see. The few times you see uh, the New Testament, uh, the churches in the New Testament meeting for worship, you see them, those aspects keep coming up over and over again. Okay, Fel- uh, Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. You see that pretty often. Okay? But I like that language, devoted to. It's actually used later in Colossians 4, verse 2. We're to be devoted to prayer and offering thanksgiving. Okay? It's a, it's a continuing, ongoing thing that we're obsessed with, in a sense. Okay? Devoted to. Just like I'm devoted to my wife. Right? Devoted to. And then everything devoted to, those four things. Alright? And so, communion is part of that. So, let's look at Acts 20 and verse 7. Yes. That's what I said a minute ago. Is it's two different Greek phrases, and so the one later actually shows it is a house-to-house meal, just a fellowship meal. This one, it's something in worship that happens, and it's a diff- little bit different phrase that's used there. So yeah, this one's communion, and the other one is more of a going over to Cindy's house and having bacon wrapped asparagus or something which is she if she ever invites you over for bacon wrapped asparagus just go cancel all appointments and go alright Acts 20 and verse 7 
So here's Paul. They have Paul and uh, the gang have shown up um, in verses 1 through 6. They've uh, been traveling. They stop um, um, in Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. That's verse 6. So it's interesting. They come to Troas and they stay six days in Troas. Then so it makes the next verse stand out. So what happens in the next verse? Somebody read verse 7, chapter 20, verse 7. I'm not the only long-winded preacher! Yes! Yeah. Woo! But I want you to notice that they wait all week until the first day of the week. And what happens on the first day of the week as they gather together around the apostles' teaching? What do they do? Break bread. They have communion. Okay? And so you, you, you just see that Acts 2.42 texture showing up very regularly throughout the New Testament. Okay? There's more I can say and more I will say. Um, but as you look at those, and then we'll end with this and then we'll come back to this the next time when we pick this up. Well, we'll get to 1 Corinthians 11 the next time. But as you look at these three right here, so what are some aspects of the Lord's Supper that you notice? Yes, you're not like pizza tonight. There's a regularity to it. Now, interesting... Nowhere are we commanded to have it weekly. Okay? Nowhere is it commanded to be done weekly. It has to be done weekly, right? And there are reasons. There's probably, there, I, I'm certain that, that the apostles have reasons for not commanding it, probably because of everything from famines to, to no one's there, you know, just three of you getting together because there's no ministers left because they're killed or whatever the case may be. But if you can, there's a regularity. So much so that that's how you see the pattern in the very earliest church. When you go back to the Didache, you go back to Justin Martyr, you go back to Ignatius, there's a huge regularity where the earlier church did, actually as they got together every Sunday, they always had communion as part of worship. Okay, And that was the pattern, and then things got wonky during the Middle Ages when only the priests took communion because everybody else felt dirty and nasty and filthy and felt like they were unqualified to ever have communion. Even a pope had to, had to actually implement a law that you had to at least take communion every Easter, you know. So it was crazy. And then come the reformers. And every reformer, every reformer, from John Calvin, Martin Bootser, Ocalampadius, to Bollinger, to Zwingli, Ed Luther, every reformer said, let's go back to the pattern that we saw in the New Testament that we see being laid out in the New Testament and that was clearly practiced in the early church. Let's go back to weekly communion. And the congregation said, no. And they used their political power to make sure it was no weekly communion, but at the most, once a quarter. That was what Calvin had to face in Geneva. Is they said, no, we will not do this every week. It'll lose its meaning or something. Whatever the case was. And I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing any of that. I'm just telling you the history. And so Calvin said, okay, there's other hills to die on. And he let it go to once a quarter. The problem is, when it was once a quarter, it became the law. Especially in Presbyterian churches, but other denominations as well. But that was never the intention, never the desire from the early reformers because the early reformers read Scripture and they read the early church and they said, hey, we were doing it every week together. And so I love the fact when, uh, that uh, when we were in Midland, we moved to weekly communion, went from once a month to weekly communion. I love coming here, and here we are doing weekly communion. It's very fitting. It's very biblical. It's very appropriate. Okay? So there's where I'm going to end today's class. I'll come back to communion the next time when we get back into this. Okay? Any questions up to this point? She gave me permission. The church began in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Woo! She
She wasn't even looking for that answer. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just giving you, we'll come back to this in a minute. So we're going to have a big quote from John Calvin, which I am just dying to read to you. Next week for Sunday school, we'll do an update on Presbytery. The whole class will be on Presbytery. Uh, it, was a, it was a very significant Presbytery yesterday. It was exhausting. We didn't get home until 8 o'clock last night, 8, 8.30. So if you see the elders kind of walk around like this, we weren't drunk. We are just wore out. Okay, but we will all actually present all that next week, and so I encourage you to come next week, um, and we'll go through, I won't, we won't bore you with all the details, as we got bored in some places. But anyways, we'll lay it out, what happened, I'll lay all that out in the votes on certain two overtures and so forth like that, okay? So I will do that next week, um, that gives me a chance to get my head clear, and then put all that together, make sure that everybody's okay with that, and then we'll present that, Okay. So that'll be next week. Everybody okay? And I'll, I'll announce that to you uh, again uh, before church in just a few minutes. Okay? Yes? No, that's a good question. Have we heard anything from our folks in Ukraine? So Lisa LaRousse is their point of contact. Our missions committee, by the way, our missions committee is meeting today after church. Um, for their little secret cabal. I mean, their meal. You see, Glenn's over there. Mm. All right. But uh, we actually are, in our missions committee, different people in the missions committee actually are responsible for keeping communication with the different missionaries we support. Okay? Also, next Sunday, so uh, not only am I going to do the Presbytery briefing, but after church, next Sunday will be our annual uh, budget report. Okay? And I'll announce that in just a minute, too, before service. Okay? Any questions? Anybody? I did. It is. This is what I wasn't denying it. I just thought, well, everybody talks about that. I'll go talk about something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went through the other entrance. Good. All right, anybody else? All right, let's pray. Lord God in heaven, thank you so much for being with us. Many of us can look back at how you have provided for us substantially after hard years. And we are grateful for that. We're grateful that we can give and that we can give with joy. We can give with thanksgiving. We can give with rejoicing. Lord, I pray that you would take us all as we give that our hearts would be filled with greater joy in thanksgiving and that you would use what is given to support and build up your church and worship and our missions and um, BBS and our, our Sunday school, Lord, that you would continue to do what you've been doing and even do more as you see fit, Lord. Be honored. Be honored, Lord, in our giving. And Lord, now we get ready to move to the great assembly. We pray that you would bless us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would Uh, draw us in that we may worship you in spirit and truth as we uh, imbibe in the means of grace the words the word sacraments and prayer in jesus name amen